You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're We're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Mic check, please. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ducks on the Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Jennings. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. My name is John Gordon. I'll be your host. And I'm your host, Katie Burke. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast. I'm your host for this episode, Mike Brazier. Joining me in studio is my co-host, Chris Jennings. Chris? How are you, Mike? Doing well. It's good to see you. Good to be back in here with you. And our guest on this episode is uh, second year in a row. We've done this now. We, I guess we didn't, we didn't scare him enough that he refused to come back this year. So we're thankful for that. Dr. Heath Hagee, um, waterfowl ecologist for U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, National Wildlife Refuge System, Southeast Region. You got it all. Wow, that's wow. well done. Good. Well done. All right. Good to be here. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> Thanks. We got a lot of compliments on the episode that we did with you last year, and it was totally attributable to you. I'm confident in all the expertise that you brought to this. And this is our uh, the start of our season in review episodes. We've released uh, an episode already where we've talked with Dr. Scott Stevens looking forward to the prairies. We've gotten that update. Now we're going to do a bit of sort of retrospective discussion of the of the 2022-23 hunting season. And we're going to have a number of episodes that we'll, we'll touch on this topic. Today is going to be the kickoff, sort of the overarching discussion. We'll look at some broad scale weather patterns, how they unfolded, our perception of them. We'll share some in, insight from various people that we connected with over the 
over the season. Maybe some of our hunting experiences in different locations, if they were good or bad, why that may have been outside of our poor shooting, if that was the case. <laughs> and uh, You said you weren't going to talk about me this, this early. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll get to that in a second. And, but then we'll have a couple of other, at least two, if not three episodes to follow up on this with maybe some more sort of specific uh, locational information from different regions, the Great Lakes, Pacific Northwest, and we're efforting a couple others as well. So to start with, you know, one of the things that we, that that seems kind of appropriate to do is go all the way back, think about and talk about where we were as spring of last year, almost a year ago, as it was rolling around and as we were looking forward to the, to the breeding season at that point, if you'll recall, we had just come out of a, well, at that late January, we were still in, deeply entrenched in a very severe drought, even on the prairies. Uh, 2021 was near record drought on the prairies. There were not a whole lot of birds produced and and also, the other significant thing that happened last year, last spring, was the first time in a couple of years that we had the breeding population survey. So, a lot of things were coming together about this time last year that were giving us a lot to talk about, making us a little anxious in some respects. But then, uh, because at that late January period, it was still really dry. Thankfully, we got a series of very strong late winter storms, and I think even an early spring storm across the mm-hmm. mostly the Dakotas, That's right? right? And I, I think uh, southwestern Manitoba, maybe southeastern Saskatchewan, those areas benefited substantially from some of those those weather systems. Western prairies pretty much stayed uh, stayed fairly dry, right? We still had some some um, drought hanging on there. But nevertheless, that was the kickoff to, I guess, the entire, um, I mean, that's where what we see in the fall and winter and what we as hunters like to chase, that's where it all begins, setting the stage, habitat conditions, and then the breeding population size. And then we got the numbers from the breeding population survey, and they were low, the million. And what was that? Like 12% below. I'm looking at the numbers here in the traditional survey area, 12% below below the 2019 number. That was first the last time we had that. And then, but 4% below the long-term average. I don't want to necessarily dig into all the details of that of that survey and those results. But Heath, I guess this is probably the first time we had a chance, have had a chance to talk with you about, about those results what your reaction was, what your reaction was to the survey numbers, Mm -hmm. but then also what you were thinking as you saw those weather systems unfold and uh, how it was improving wetland conditions. Uh, What was Heath Hagee thinking about this time last year? I'll I'll take on the the BPOP one first. I was surprised they weren't down more. I thought Mm -hmm. actually after, you know, we missed the BPOP for a couple of years. So we were uh, really in the dark as to what those changes are. We had a couple of what we we all thought were pretty bad breeding years. And so a lot of us actually were, I hate to say we were relieved because the, the numbers were down, but I actually thought they would be worse. And so I, I was relieved that they weren't worse than they were for most of those species. And then, you know, many of us coming up you know, through winter, we were pretty worried about the prairies as dry as it had been again. But then... But then we had some, you know, even into April, we had some snow in the Dakotas, as I recall. And um, and it, I, I think it really saved probably, uh, uh, really maybe saved us for this duck season a little bit with that with that lag effect. So it, I say all that to say, yes, it's discouraging, but 
I thought it would be worse. And I think a lot of a lot of other biologists thought maybe it would actually be worse than it was. Yep. I, I did too. I was one of those. I had I had guessed it was going to be about 32, 32, 5 or mm-hmm. something of that nature. I'd have to go back through some of the conversations or whatever. But uh, yeah, I expected it to be a little bit lower and thankful that it wasn't. But like you, I was relieved to see the improved moisture condition, conditions and wetland conditions because I was optimistic after seeing that, that we would have good production. And and I think we did. What have, has your experience been? What have you heard? What have you seen, I guess, either from, from any of the banding that you've done, any of the banding that you've heard from other people as they went through you know, pre-season, mm-hmm. pre-hunting season banding last fall, your hunting experience this year, any of the banding work that you've done here lately. In terms of the number of young birds that you saw or have heard about, did we get good production last year? I think it really depended on where you were. So, you know, I've talked to a number of the pilot biologists who go run banding crews, some of our flyaway crews, and some of them had a lot of young birds. Some of them had very, very few. So I think it just depended on where they fell out in the in the Canadian and in the U.S. prairies too. But certainly in the Dakotas, there were, there were some young birds produced. Um, you know, from our winter trapping, we really haven't noticed a big difference. We're seeing young birds about like, about like we typically do. Um, so I I don't think anything is substantially different. Just my gut feeling. I don't know if there's anything substantially different from, um, you know, from pre 2020 sort of sort of time frame. Um, I think you get the you get the pockets where you had big production, and you get the pockets where less water and or less favorable habitat conditions, and you know, there just there just wasn't much. And so I think kind of like kind of like we would probably experience down here for as waterfowl hunters in the south in the winter. You get pockets where it's really good. And you get pockets where it's really bad. Overall, seem to be maybe down a little bit to to sort of average. Hmm. I've it's occurred to me over the past few times we've had episodes like this where we're asking people to kind of characterize the season, and it's like we've got we've got three bins, like three categories: really bad, <laughs> really good, and average. average. It's like that average bin is super wide, yeah. you know. And I think that's that's probably okay because it gets to the point that you're making there, Heath, is that there are some places that even during those, quote, average years do really well. Mm -hmm. Some places that during those, quote, average years do really poorly. And so it's just, there's a lot of variation Mm -hmm. in those average years. And that's why Kyle Spragans has shared some of that with us before. It's like, eh, about average. And you can (laughs) maybe say maybe a little below average, but what does that really mean? So anyway, I think that's different for everybody too. (laughs) You know, everyone has their own kind of perspectives on mm-hmm. duck season and you know mine i tell people this year oh i had a terrible duck season you know and, and it's not because the ducks weren't there it's because i didn't get to go as often as i wanted yeah. to go you know i had other commitments and so like maybe people are taking that into account where you guys and even and kyle is really taking into account what he's hearing across that pacific northwest landscape and then you know he's diving into the numbers pretty good he's like eh, probably average you mm-hmm. know kind of that's probably what you're doing mm-hmm. eh, you know probably you probably heard guys who did really well heard guys that did really poor but in the general you know gist of this conversation it's like yeah it's average so well you know I, I could tell you you know based what what the age ratio is based on my my hunting experience was the you know in in my bag but i don't think i bagged enough ducks this duck season to really give you, <laughs> a give you any, any, yeah exactly right yeah you, yeah zero is a no it wasn't that bad but you didn't get the phone call to hunt with mike mike, oh, hunt, mike hunted all yeah, over the place man. this year we can talk about my hunting we can, yeah we'll talk about my <laughs> hunting experience what i will say is that my experience this year with regard to the number of young birds in 
in in the bag was way better than last year. Interesting. Way better. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether we're talking about shovelers, which I'm not ashamed to shoot a shoveler. I, I like those birds. I think they're under they admired. They have a green under head. Appreci- That's, yeah. There you uh, go. They can be very, very pretty birds. Um, teal, uh, and then a few mallards as well. And compared to last year, when I don't think I shot a single juvenile bird mm. last year. And every bird that I tried to tried to decoy uh, acted like a three or four year old bird. This year was different uh, in some of those instances, and and I did I I don't have the age ratio data. I don't keep. I'm not. A, I'm not. I'm disappointed to say that I'm not dedicated enough to keep track of all that. I just, I'm just not. I've tried and I've just, I failed. I just can't do it completely. And so I get an incomplete record of that data. But I do recall observations this year of definitely more young birds in the bag than um, than, than previous years. So obviously there was some production last year. I've Certainly. talked to a few people that have... Um, that have shared some of that same sentiment. I've also talked to folks and heard some of the same reports that you did from some of the banding crews that, man, it was tough, mm-hmm. uh, which was surprising for them. Mm-hmm. In some of the areas that we thought should have been really good. That had Again, a lot of water. Yeah. And you would have thought that there would be a lot of production, but some of those crews struggled. Yeah. It makes you want, it takes your mind to wondering if those birds flew to another location, you know? Mm-hmm. There's that whole conversation that we've talked with uh, folks about in the past. But um, yeah, so big picture, you know, s- about average in terms of production. And then Heath, I guess, I don't know, how would you describe, maybe this is where we can go next to just kind of describe our individual hunting experiences, how we would view that. Do we have some good days? Do we have some bad days? What were, what and what did we hear from other folks? We'll, we'll go through some of the specifics on weather patterns and things of that nature. But I think it'd be kind of neat just to to talk generally about our our experiences. So, Chris? Yeah, I think kind of the overarching, as we look at the season in review, I think everybody, especially focusing here kind of on the Mississippi and Central Flyway, especially mid-latitude states down, we were looking at severe drought, even when the season started. Mm-hmm. I mean, you and I texted mm-hmm. back and forth, Heath. It's just, you know, you had sent some photos, though you were up in the air, and you're like, mm-hmm. there is no, no water. So I think yep. that's kind of the message for how the season started in the center. Because, I mean, we talked to Jay Anglin, you know, northern Indiana, southern India. They were dry mm-hmm. as a bone. You know, anywhere you went, the people Mark were... Vertiska and Tom Bedrowski yep. out of uh, Nebraska. Yeah, we had them on for the episode. Dry. They were dry. So, I mean, I think that that's, that's how the season started started down here. And then I think that's the conversation to have is that progression. Um, Did you see that progression when you were flying your surveys from just bone dry and to getting little bits of water here and there and then a bunch of water and then the duck showed up? Is that pretty much how it worked? Yeah, that's it. I know we're going to get to that, but it was a a slow increase in December. You know, this northern MAV, this area of the Mid-South, a slow increase and then it happened. Mm-hmm. Then it got cold. We got some rain. Yep. Got real cold, mm-hmm. and uh, and it happened quick in late December. Yeah, and I know just from my we'll talk about my experience just dealing with like the migration alert program and dealing with the freelancers there, and they're contacting waterfowl managers all over the country. Mm-hmm. But like everyone was saying the same thing, no matter what state you were in, from late October to. Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. You know, that was no, I mean, there were people in Arkansas who were like, oh, my farmer's not even pumping. He mm-hmm. won't even pump because we're going to lose the water so mm-hmm. dry. Um, so as you get through that, that, you know, that 
super, super dry spell where everyone's bummed out. Now, granted, as I say that, there was lots of people who had water. And if you had water, you were in business, you know, especially in Arkansas, North Mississippi. I mean, those guys were all pumping if they could. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, I think that is just kind of the overall message there. But I heard from Southeast Louisiana to, you know, Mississippi, South Mississippi. These guys had good duck seasons. I mean, normally we get the emails from Southeast Louisiana, especially. I mean, they did pretty well. I mean, I talked to Captain Ryan Lambert. He owns Cajun Fishing Adventures. Talked to him a couple days ago. And he's like, yeah, we did fine. You know, now he didn't say we did great. Right. They never will. Right, exactly. (laughs) But he'll say, yeah, we had a great duck season or had a good duck season. That's what he'll say. My my phone and my email stayed pretty quiet Mm -hmm. for most of duck season, which is an anomaly from the last several years. That's right. Um, so when that happens, I assume everyone's at least getting enough to sort of get them satiated. Yeah. yeah. I heard the same thing out of some of my friends in Louisiana. I would check in with them after the opener. I, t- I didn't I didn't check with them very much on teal season. Teal season was a bit weird. Uh, for, I had some weird reports. We talked with Jay England about one of those. Uh, Winus Point, just birds, the teal. Teal never showed up at Winus Point, mm. which is really weird. But I think coastal Louisiana and Texas did yeah. pretty well. Texas on, did real well. Yeah. I got down to hunt for a few days down in South Louisiana and... The numbers weren't there. I don't know if this makes sense. This is kind of also the guys are saying this and we're kind of seeing it. They didn't have big numbers of birds. Like you weren't looking out and just seeing clouds of blue wings, you know, across the marsh. Like sometimes you can. Yeah. But the ones that were there, like we did really well. Hmm. I mean, we had a, you know, fantastic three-day hunt. And it was like, wow, hunting's really good. But you you just weren't seeing those big numbers out there in the marsh. They could have been there. You know, but we just, where we were, we just weren't seeing the, the big flocks of blue wings. Um, so, and I think that really continued throughout much of the season for those guys down there. And especially, I can speak to Southeast. I didn't get over to Southwest side, but the, that's a totally different, you know, they seem to do really well over there mm-hmm. consistently. But um, the Southeast guys, they, they didn't have big numbers, but they had good hunts. So, no complaints. I didn't get out teal hunting a single time. Did you? No. Nope, yeah. I didn't. Chris, other than that trip. Other than that trip. Yeah. yeah. It it seemed for me, I think I was busy with work and, and other things and it just, it flew by and it's like, oh, bam, teal season's here. And then bam, teal season's gone. I, I didn't even Well, unless you were taking that trip to the coast at that time of year. Yeah, there wasn't there was a lot yeah, around here. Water. Yeah, that's right. water. That's yeah, right. you couldn't even find water almost in the Mississippi River at that no. time. Yeah. I mean, that was when they were... Oh, that's yeah, right. That's that, right. Barge traffic slowed down right. or stopped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were real dry. That's right. I forgot about that sort of as a measure of exactly how dry it was on this landscape. And and then, of course, the, the regular duck season rolled around and I heard good reports out of Louisiana. One of the... First, some people saying the best opener we've had in, in many, many years. The, the day after the second day, uh, the reports were still some bird, a lot of birds around, but the birds figure it out pretty quick. You know, they weren't as naive, weren't as, as decoy ready, as uh, willing as as the previous day, but still did did really well. And and I think the way things unfolded temperature wise, um, the rest of the season helped. Yeah. And, with, I, with and I don't want to speak for the South Louisiana duck hunters down there, but one thing that I noticed, this was the first time and I've been down there almost every year for about the last eight or nine years. This is the first time I'd been down there where there hadn't been a storm. Yeah. So the marsh was completely intact. Food was yeah. all over the place. It would looked awesome. I mean, sometimes you go down there and you have a like I went down there after Hurricane Isaac and it looked like, you know, someone had 
just sprayed Roundup over the whole marsh. It was just completely brown. Where this year, green, tall, flush. I mean, it it was beautiful. It was awesome. So maybe I'm I'm gonna say maybe, but I'm I'm assuming that that probably played an impact uh, for those guys down there, whole birds. It has to. That that whole area was just. I mean, all of Louisiana was just a lot wetter than it than it mm-hmm. has been in the last couple of years. North Louisiana had some water. Um, I I want to say that on one of your maps, Southwest Louisiana really wet early in the year as yep. compared to the rest of the rest of this area, and and so that was a big game changer from the last couple of years. Rest of Texas was largely dry, though. They really, mm-hmm. I think your conversation with Kevin Cry yep. was just super dry outside yeah. of some of those coastal areas. Even some of the coast was really dry. Yeah, even some mm-hmm. of the coast, Kevin had mentioned, yeah, it was dry. But, I mean, those coastal guys had done, at least the ones that I spoke to, they did pretty well early. Um, and then they had a lull sometime in December where they were pretty slow. Uh, but then they got some additional water, too, along with the, everyone else. So, I mean, I think that changed the game for them. I know a few years ago, all they talked about was how wet it was in mm-hmm. Texas. And, like, even the the guides were like, it sucks. I'm, you know, dealing with a muddy ranger every day. This is awful. And then and then they started this year just super dry. So, just that, that contrast all across the board, I think, is... Chris, you mentioned one of the maps that I have here. I have a departure from average temperature, uh, monthly departure from average. September was warm across most of the entire U.S. There were a few, I do recall a few cold fronts coming through. It gets you excited for the season. You know, the fall is around the corner. October, uh, according to the some of the reports that I saw, October was still relatively mild. Uh, but... And I didn't remember this, and I just realized why I didn't remember it. There was apparently a very strong cold front that came through in the middle of October and brought record cold temperatures this far, even this far south. And I didn't remember that, and I didn't remember it because I was in Alaska. (laughs) (laughs) I was in Alaska chasing Brant and Ptarmigan and and Harlequin. That's that trip I forgot to tell you about. That's right. Another one. Yeah, that's that's that one you didn't get the invite on. That was, you know, that's a special trip there. uh, I I do remember talking with a number of people about mallards getting here on the tail of that front and, yeah. and how you know you've got the halloween mallards but some of that was a, a little bit early and we had some good pushes of birds super early and and i remember talking to yeah. them about that front this year but again to the point that we just talked about there wasn't any water on the landscape right. down here unless you had the ability to to put some out there and probably wasn't a whole lot that early i that doubt early. people yeah. were yeah. pumping you know so again another opportunity for some of those coastal areas farther south of us to be a beneficiary of some of the some of that early movement some of that weather um the I guess the first big change, and I'm, I'm th- trying to piece together some of the conversations, we talked with Scott Stevens in early November, probably after that Veterans Day storm. That was the first big, significant, like real, I shouldn't say first, really it was the second one, significant cold event that I think had significant, you know, had, had major consequences for bird movements and bird numbers in a lot of different places. Some good uh, outcomes, some not so good. You know, that was Veterans Day, super cold. And we talked with, I think, Scott Stevens around that time. We talked with Mark Vratiska, Tom mm-hmm. Adrowski around that time. And that was, so the birds were, Canada was freezing up around yep. that time. Early November, that was late, late for them mm-hmm. because we talked with Scott. Almost the, a month difference than the year prior. I think that's right. All right. Yeah. But it was... Uh, Worst case scenario for that 
for the central Great Plains because it was so dry. They had no water. Mm -hmm. And then you get this massive push of cold weather. And I heard some refer to it, or maybe they were expecting it, or they even described it based on what they saw as a mini grand passage of birds coming through the mid-continent, some significant migration events. And that's horrible for Nebraska and Oklahoma um, or Kansas, my saying, I said, I think I said Oklahoma yeah, a couple of times. Kansas. Yeah, so Kansas for, for Tom there. Uh, almost worst case scenario there because it was so dry and had those birds migrate through so quickly. So what, that's what they were expecting. That's what Mark described. You have any, have any read on any, did you talk to anybody out there, Heath, that would have provided any insight on, on that? No, I don't, I don't know that I have anything on that one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I know like Cheyenne Bottoms was dry. It was, we got right. a lot of messages about that. Um, and that's such a big draw for that area. And a lot of hunters, a lot of birds, a lot of hunters. Um, and they were bone dry. And But I also think at that same time, which is interesting, and just in doing those migration alerts, you know, the Illinois River picked up a ton of birds mm -hmm. there. And, I, and, and, you know, just going back and forth. And we're all kind of guessing and assuming. And if we could think like a duck, we'd, I'd probably be a better duck hunter. But um, with it being so dry in Kansas and Nebraska, I really felt like a bunch of those birds maybe hopped over into Illinois in that Illinois River, the confluence area. They seem to have a bunch of birds early, at least positive reports. I don't know if you heard that. As they well. had a lot of birds. Where they came from, I don't. I don't know if it's it was Mississippi flyway birds mm -hmm. hanging up. I don't. I, I don't know where they came from, yeah. but they had a lot of birds and they held on to them for a while. They too. did. They yeah. and I don't want to say record numbers, but they. I mean, some of the specific species numbers that were being reported mm -hmm. by the Forbes Biological mm -hmm. Station. I mean, some of them were like you know, plus 214% over, you know, last year. And, you know, the, it was just huge numbers. And and those are some, a lot of green wings, I think, showed up there. Um, I don't know how well that translated into successful hunting for some of those guys from the Illinois River. and um, But I do know that, you know, just those numbers were pretty shocking. And I kind of took that as, oh, it's so dry. They have a little bit of water. They're, you know, they're going to hold the birds. Yeah. So, and it I've, did. I heard some pretty good reports from the Illinois River this, this fall. I think they did all right. Good. Yeah. And I talked to somebody in um, in Missouri, that sort of north central. What is it? Um, what's that that river that runs up through there? Golly, I can't remember the name of it right now. I want to say Grand something. The one that goes through like Swan Lake, the triangle. I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. up through there. Um, they did did really well. It was one of their better years, but it was not consistent throughout. It's like you had to be there on the right days. And if you were there on the right days, you did re did really well. Mm -hmm. And I think they now they did they did well on most days. But if you want to really experience a great day, I think you just had to had to be there. So um, uh, when when conditions were right, and ended up they they did had one of their better years. So had some birds there. Timing was right for them, I guess. And uh, the other thing that I noted from from following some of those sort of weekly or, or semi-monthly reports from Missouri and some of the other states is that on the backside of some of those, on the backside of those cold fronts, when you expected birds to move in or move out, almost every time the counts responded the way you expected them to. We lost a lot of birds, you know, whether it was that December, uh, December cold I guess it was around Christmas, That's right? right. Yep. Missouri lost a ton of birds. Yeah. Had almost right. zero right. on their counts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. That's right. Now, whether they left Missouri or just went to the rivers, I don't know. I'm sure it was yeah. a little bit of both. Because Missouri only does their counts on state 
properties, correct? State and federal. And they do some federal. It, too. They do yeah. federal? Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Well, that would make sense if, if it got cold in some of those areas. They're probably moist soil management type things where them things, you know, those ducks are just going to bounce to the river, Missouri River, wherever. Um, I think that probably happens some. I, I think they largely lost birds with that. And that that's sort of my anecdotal um mm-hmm. Just kind of impression is that is that they they move south just from some of the flying that that we did in and around the boot hill and up in Illinois and just sort of so we didn't you know not flying with Andy or anything over there but just in that geography they're just it was cold and it was icy and there weren't any you know there weren't any birds and yeah. certainly no um, you know no no birds that weren't very cold hardy so you know that really and we, we can get into this but you know really just left with mallards and maybe a few gadwall everything else that everything else that's a little less cold hardy they were gone they yeah. were way south yeah and I, and I and when you say way south i re, i mean i really think and i heard a lot from the guys who hunt like south mississippi mm-hmm. who some of these guys have struggled for the last 3 mm-hmm. or 4 years and they picked up a bunch of ducks at that time and they held ducks for a little while they had i mean most of those guys had pretty good seasons but you know arkansas's numbers jumped mm-hmm. right then too they did but in some pretty and that was actually perfect timing because the rivers were getting close to going out, which is, you know, mm-hmm. prime real estate uh, for waterfowl. And and th- it was almost that same time, and it, it worked out. I don't think when they did the survey in Arkansas, it didn't reflect it as much as what I thought. But I also think some of those transects weren't in, you know, some of the White River backwaters or whatever, you know, some different areas there. I, I think that they, they had a bunch of ducks and picked most of them up from Missouri. I, I, I think so. And and. So we we were doing a few small scale surveys, like on Big Lake. We were doing mm-hmm. them every two weeks this fall. I was texting you pictures of that, and right before or kind of in between some of the Arkansas Game and Fish surveys. So I think they flew on the fifth and sixth or something like that, that midwinter period, and they had a you know a flight before. But really, when when Big Lake went went hit its huge number was that twenty third. I think we were. I think we. Probably think we flew on the 23rd. So right before Christmas, yep. it had just gotten, it was about to get cold. That cold front was coming. We had just gotten water. Rivers were just right, push, trying to push out of their banks at all at that same time. And it it was, it was crazy. It was yeah. absolutely crazy at, at Big Lake. Huge number, biggest number I've ever seen there. And, uh, and, and, and those and are majority mallards too. A lot of mallards. There were still some pintail there. Yeah. We had a few green wings, but a lot of mallards, yeah. a lot of mallards. It was primarily mallards there. And, and some diving ducks we mm-hmm. had out on the Big Lake. Main Lake had some canvas backs and some scop and ringnecks and and so cool. pretty big push of cold hardy birds you know yeah. moving moving to the south at that time so but but when we were back there two weeks later during the midwinter period there were still birds around but nothing like that that number and yeah. so I, I think probably that northeast Arkansas that area probably really got a huge number kind of in between those survey periods if I was guessing yeah one of the other things that I noticed from some of the surveys I think it was Louisiana that stood out to me they conduct monthly surveys I think September November December January mm-hmm. from, uh, I think the November survey preceded that strong Veterans Day storm. So their numbers in November were really low. Just the timing was bad on that. And I, I want to say maybe for December also, it was it was maybe in between mm-hmm. cold fronts or so, cold cold outbreaks or something of that nature. And and I forget how, how January played out, but I think some of their their numbers were good. They were good once in you January. Get to, mm-hmm. yep, uh, yeah. And I think December was pretty good also. None of them were record-breaking or anything of that nature, but I think they were about average, which 
average in recent years for Louisiana is really good compared mm-hmm. to what they've had in, um, in the past couple of years, some of those time periods. And so that was good to see that and and good to see that they were the beneficiaries of, of yeah, of some of that weather that we talked about and the beneficiaries of it being dry up north of them. There's That's no right. doubt about that. That's right. They had all the shovelers from the MAV. I think. <laughs> they yeah. certainly had a lot of them. Did they? Uh, I know you flew many, many miles this this year. A few miles. And so we're going to get to that here in a second. Um, we probably probably ought to talk a little bit about, let's say, California. We're going to have a special discussion with about the Pacific Northwest, but we can talk about uh, certainly what happened uh, out in California. We and we can reference some of our conversations with Virginia Getz and Fritz Reed. And we may get somebody else on to talk about this in, in a little bit of detail, but just to make sure we give it a little bit of coverage here. You know, that going into the season out west, it was dry, super dry. The biggest concern was hunters even finding places to hunt, refuges being able to open uh, all of their areas for, for hunting. And it was somewhere shortly after, maybe it was late November when they finally started to get some rain in California and allowed them to start opening up. I think it was they started to get some significant rain in in, um, in late November and allowed them to start opening up some refuges. Yeah. Uh, additional areas on some of the refuges out there it was far from any kind of relief that they, um, from the relief that they really needed. But then, but then December rolled around, mid-December, I think around Christmas, from, from around Christmas, to mid-January, I think the report I saw was that there were nine storms that came through they and then just deluged mm-hmm. California almost to a to a detriment, you yeah. know, where they yep. it it caused a lot of people to lose out on some hunting opportunities. Some of the state or federal areas, I think, had to close access, mm-hmm. had to close them all. Did you hear any reports from from folks that you know out there? That, that's the same as what I've heard. Just yeah, went from went from yeah, famine to feast. But then, but then overkill. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, unfortunately, there was property damage and a number of other other things that went on that's out there. That fatalities was, that as well. Were, associated yeah, that with was that. The, yeah. That's just awful. But um, but yeah, and it just really just really abnormal to get that much water that that fast out there. Yeah, and I think we did four or five different migration alerts specific to California this year. Um, and I have a freelancer out there, Peter Otteson, does a great job. Uh, works a lot with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service property managers out there um, at some of the big ones, Sacramento Complex, mm-hmm. uh, and they were so bummed out. I mean, it was like depressing to get the first couple alerts because it's like dry, you know, 30% pumps, mm-hmm. not even allowing hunting on mm-hmm. some of the refuges. I mean, there was no water. Um, and then that storm hit and it went from, oh my gosh, there's water everywhere. And then the next report is like, there's too much water mm-hmm. everywhere. You know, now they're, now the hunters started, you know, having issues with, you know, even the some of the private clubs that did yep. pump and had water, they did pretty well early. And then once it started raining, like the birds were just going everywhere. Yep. And so they had a hard time really narrowing in. But as that season played out out there in California from just the numbers from some of the refuges out there, um, and if you look at those numbers, I mean, I would put some of those hunting opportunities in Central California or Central Valley on public land as some of the hands down best hunting. Now, I've never hunted out there, but you just look at the numbers like, you know, Peter Otteson sending this like Delavan was at like, you know, 4.6 birds per hunter, mm-hmm. you know, like th- those are unheard of. Fantastic. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's like, and 
you hate to say, oh, I'm going to guarantee you shoot four yeah. birds. You know, you hate to guarantee anything. But out there, man, they had some great hunting. And majority green wings. They mm-hmm. shot a bunch of green wings out mm-hmm. there, a bunch of shovelers again. That's, you know, pintails, widgeon. It's a good mix there. But um, they had, they were green wing rich for sure, which that area typically is. Yeah. Yeah. We'll try to get somebody on to give us a bit of insight uh, in, more, in more detail on, on that area. I would love to... Um, talk with somebody about Great Salt Lake. That's sort mm. of a blind spot for me right now in terms of knowing um, knowing how how wetland conditions are, water levels in the Great Salt Lake are at this time. I'm, I'm quite certain that they're, they're still pretty dry out there and lake levels are still incredibly low. They are. I don't know what snowpack looks like in, in those areas. That's the other thing that that's relevant in a conversation about the West is how much snowpack that was delivered to some of those landscapes. I think some fared better than others. Not sure how Klamath Basin snowpack there is is shaping up right now, although it was above average, well above average a month or so ago. But I don't know if they've had a whole lot of snow or precip since then, and I know they're going to need more between now and and spring to kind of improve things there. But So we still have a few pieces of information that we can piece together from, from that part of the world, and we'll try to do that. But I did want to first talk about Florida a little bit. There were a couple of very significant events that hit that state. One at the end of September, that was Hurricane Ian, a pretty catastrophic uh, hurricane. And then Hurricane Nicola, a pretty historic late November or or late season uh, hurricane that also impacted the east coast of Florida. And we are going to try to connect with someone to hear a little bit more firsthand about how those storms affected the habitats and the waterfowl of that region. Obviously, we um, we were keeping a close eye on on those things because we have a lot of members, partners, supporters down in that area. And having lived in coastal Louisiana for so many years and gone through those hurricanes and the damages that they bring, both personal and economic, it's it's hard to see. But it is it is part of those uh, part of living in those coastal systems. And so uh, we are hearts and thoughts were certainly with all the people down there when that was happening. But from a waterfowl standpoint, we're kind of in the dark a little bit on on how that played out. And so we want to try to connect with, with somebody a little bit later on. I think you guys were also saying that you heard good reports from a few people out of that area throughout the season. Uh, let's say Florida, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Do we have read on South Carolina or Florida? I don't Chris? have much from South Carolina, but the uh, I know you know, Heath and I were talking before we started recording, just, you know, I'd heard good reports from North Florida, um, even all the way down into South Florida that, you know, they had some pretty good hunting. And it, I think it was, it's really started kind of towards the the middle half of the season. Uh, so they, they had probably picked up some ducks based on those few large cold fronts. Yeah. Um, and then in combination with some additional water, uh, which down there in Florida, they're not as relying on those big lakes, mm-hmm. basically where I'm talking about. They're not as relying on the precipitation like we are in other parts of the country, but um, they seem to have pretty good hunting. You know, they're shooting redheads and uh, green wings, and I mean, they're shooting everything down there, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly the same thing I heard. I, I don't know that it was the best year ever, mm-hmm. but they certainly had some uh, some good shoots. Uh, Merritt Island, I heard from the biologist down there, they were over two birds a hunter um, there, so uh, it, in my book, that's very good. Yeah, it's not yeah. California four and <laughs> yeah. a half, right? <laughs> Green wing deal for yeah. hunter, but but that's that's very good. I would take that at my duck club, mm-hmm. uh, you know, heartbeat because we didn't have that this year and anywhere close. So, um, but yeah, very good. And uh, I, we had a we had a different aerial observer in uh, 
uh, at St. Mark's um, flying, and I got a text message from him right after he flew with buffle heads, buffle heads, buffle heads, all in <laughs> yeah. all in caps. Uh, yeah. So uh, I think for two years in a row, they were the the bufflehead capital of the of the South. I think. So. I've been I've been down there in uh, my my family lives down there in Fort Myers, Cape Coral area, and uh, I've been down there on the Caloosahatchee River mm-hmm. fishing, and you look out and there's just. A wall. I mean, as far as you can see is like bluebills and buffleheads, mm-hmm. and it's very impressive just sitting out on the river. So I've seen them in big numbers down there like that. That's that's cool to see. Yeah. Also, from a precipitation, from a rain uh, perspective, we were. I think everybody around here in the lower Mississippi Valley was. We were eager for more rain just to get get some more habitat on the on the landscape as we're looking into mid late November. We wanted that to benefit ducks and duck hunters, but then also avian flu was the thing that was really blowing up at that time of the year. And that's another reason why one of these some of these rain events stick in my mind is that when they were happening, I'm thinking, okay, well that's good. It's going to put more water on the landscape. Hopefully it'll get some of those birds to move into different locations. Whether they actually did that, I don't know, but we've talked in another episode about kind of how that avian flu um issue played out over the over the winter but the other thing that happened chris you were talking about when that when rain started uh, to accumulate in arkansas lower mississippi valley started to flood some of those new areas my read on it from talking to a few people is that that sort of shifted the fortunes of some of the hunters in that landscape. Like the people that had the birds early because they were able to provide the, that early habitat were doing well during that time. But then once that water got on the landscape in all those new areas, the birds kind of redistributed and you kind of saw a shift in the fortunes of who was benefiting from that. Did you hear any any of that type of uh, situation play out? Oh, absolutely. I mean, in Arkansas, that's that pretty much plays out like that almost every year. You know, the early birds... You know, and, and this is just, you know, even talking with Luke Naylor for the last five, six years doing the, these and the migration alerts, that early opener of the season is typically your more managed or pumped water. You know, that's where it gets good. As you get into that mid-December when Arkansas is supposed to be getting rain or typically does, some of those rivers go out, creates new habitat, and then it just goes, you're, you're feast or famine either way. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm on, I, my lease is pumped rice mm-hmm. fields, and we typically do better early, and then we have a long lull until, like, the first week of January. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like, you know, not that the birds necessarily come back, probably picking up more or whatever, but, like, that whole month of December is pretty slow for us, typically. And that's usually because they get water the ducks move, you know, and our place was a little bit of, oh, we were weird this year all the way around. We didn't, we didn't shoot many mallards, which typically we do. And we just didn't have, we had other ducks, but we had gadwall this year, which we hadn't had mm. gadwall in like three or four years. Gadwall made up 80% of our bag, which really? if you look back at our numbers for the last five years, we were killing like three, maybe eight gadwall all season. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then this wow. year, you know, we're killing 11, 12 on a hunt. It's like, what, why did the gadwall? You know, why did they all of a sudden decide to show up here? So That's where my gadwall went. All maybe. Right. All right. maybe. Now I know. Maybe I got your gadwall. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, as soon as that 
water changes. I mean, that's the the flip of the switch. And and really that that goes to a huge, and, and there's no complaints there. I mean, I'll go after them on the White River too if I could get the opportunity. But you know that public land hunter who's always kind of ho hum early in the season. By that time, as soon as you get that rain, that's when there's 350 boats at Clarendon boat launch, and you know it becomes a circus over there. But um, but no, I mean those guys did really well. I'm curious on your your take on January. It was warm. We continued to get a bit of rain in January. Actually, it was really wet. We got really a lot wet. of wet, mm-hmm. a lot yeah. of yeah, rain wet. in January. I think that was the saving grace for hunting fortunes in January. It was warm. I think I saw something that said it was the sixth warmest January on record nationwide. If it weren't for those frequent rain events that created some new habitat, flashy habitats in some of the locations where where I hunt, oh, it would have been tough. There would have been nothing to, to force birds to get out and try new things and, and expose themselves to hunters. Heath, do you have any, is that kind of the way things played out over there where you are? V- very much. Yeah, very much the case. It, yeah, just anecdotally where I hunt, um, it, we actually had, and I, and I don't know if it's the amount of rain, I don't know if it's just the frequency, but we were the our January were was the was the wettest that we've had. Just the amount the amount of the amount of overflow that we had over our levees back into the ditches. The amount of ditches backing up into our rice fields coming you know coming in through the structures over top. And you know we don't typically see that, or we'll see it one big rain. But mm-hmm. it was just re, it was just recurred all January, which was interesting. It you know there's a lot of new habitat out there, um, which 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 was good for the birds. Um, I don't know how good for the hunters it was. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, good, good for the birds. Based on which hunter you talking that's about? That's right. That's right. Yeah, good for the good for the river. The you know the 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 Cash River, White River uh, folks that are that are running up and down the rivers chasing the birds out in the timber. I think I think that it only got better and better and better for them as the as yeah. You got to go where they on. are. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. I will say the one the Black River was good all season. That's interesting. Yeah, the there, guys that I knew. Oh gosh, I heard some there, stories out of there. I that, think that it, it was pretty good. That's good all That's season. Good. There's there, there's some interesting hot. If you look at Game and Fishes, Arkansas Game and Fishes, you know, uh, hotspot map or whatever. There's some interesting hot spots, mm-hmm. and those I looked at it. I looked at it a little while ago, and I was like, wow, that that is 100 percent what I would have predicted from the anecdotal reports before I opened this PDF a yeah. minute ago. That's exactly what I heard, and those are what showed up on their surveys too. And there's some around the Black River. Yeah, absolutely. This is probably a good place for us to take a break. Okay. Let's do that. We'll come back. I know we're going to talk about your surveys, uh, but I want to pick up on one other thing related to that that we just talked about. We'll do that right after the break. your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. 
Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're We're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Everybody, welcome back. We are here in studio I'm with my co-host Chris Jennings, and our special guest is Dr. Heath Hagee. We're talking about the 2022-23 waterfowl season in review, recapping some of our experiences and what we're seeing, what we saw from some of the weather events that played out. We just talked about January and how it was warm and had a lot of rain here, especially in the lower Mississippi Valley, across much of the eastern U.S. for that matter. And and I did find myself wondering how it may have affected southern uh, hunters farther south from us because when you get that warm weather i remember driving through arkansas mid-january a lot of water on the landscape but the water was well occupied by ducks and i thought man and i think i even recall you just talking to you chris on the phone about um the ducks that i was seeing You're like yeah seeing a lot of ducks. Mm-hmm. I found myself wondering if we weren't already seeing some migrants coming back from Louisiana because past research has has shown us, told us, radio telemetry research from 30 years ago that ducks will do that, you know, during the winter. It, it could be that they were starting their northward migration. It could be they're using their sixth or seventh sense to pick up the availability of this moisture, these new habitats and other landscapes. Is that, is that kind of uh, yeah, match I mean, your observations? From the middle of January through the end um, mm-hmm. at our it. place. And, and we're a little bit different. I mean, we're over here talking about, you know, the white and the cash, which we're not too far from it, but we're further west. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm 20 miles outside of Little Rock, um, just kind of southeast of Little Rock. And we're real close to that Arkansas River. Mm. And so, you know, we see a lot of movement. Like, I don't know if that makes sense, but like we see a lot of migrating birds. Now, mm-hmm. all those birds weren't necessarily on our property, um, but there wasn't a day that went by when I was hunting out there that I did not hear large flocks of pintails high. Now, they weren't landing, mm-hmm. you know, but you could hear them moving. And they were sometimes they're going north, sometimes they're going south. It just depended on what the weather change was, but they were definitely moving. And that was that probably started January you know, 10th, 11th, right in there, and all the way up through even the youth hunt that I just did. Sure. You know, you could hear them. They're on the move. 
I'll buy that. I, I think the Pentail did a lot of moving around the MAV, maybe just anecdotally, but it seemed like more than they than they have done in the last few years. And I think probably Louisiana and North Louisiana having more water. Um, we certainly anecdotally saw more Pentail down there in our surveys than we than we have the last few years. Um, and then you know there you know typically weren't huge piles of of Pentail. You know, at least we didn't see those on refuges. Um, maybe they were maybe they were somewhere else, but they were they were just they seemed to be more scattered and and I'll agree i think i think really late in the years when we started to get them popping back up coming mm -hmm. back up uh, into the northern part of the mav Heath, this is as good a place as any to transition to your your observations from your surveys uh, i think we talked about that last year and that was one of the that's a piece of information that that you can bring to this conversation because you're flying was it a two-week period or something of that nature where you're flying all across the southeast tell that's us right. about that that's right yeah so um We've got a number of different aircraft, different observers, uh, myself included, and we fly from Southern Illinois all the way down to the Gulf Coast, even went into Texas last year a little bit. We've got crews going from North Carolina all the way down to uh, down to the Georgia border as well, uh, covering the Gulf Coast from, again, at, uh, right at the uh, uh, Louisiana-Texas line all the way over into Florida. Um, so we cover a pretty good swath and then everything in between. Um, so, you know, a lot of what we're seeing is just kind of anecdotal as we're going from refuge to refuge, but you get to see a lot of geography and you get to see the places that are dry, the places that are wet, the places mm -hmm. that have big piles of birds and how the species vary and so on and so forth. So it's 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 pretty interesting. Now, our surveys are, um, we're getting estimates, but they're just on national wildlife refuges. And we so we can compare those to what our state partners, so game, Arkansas Game and Fish, MDWFMP, so on, so on and so forth, what they're going to find statewide. And we can figure out what portion of those birds are, mm. you know, hanging out on on refuges, which tends to be about about ten to twenty percent. Okay. So, so we we don't have all the birds on national wildlife <laughs> refuges, but we've got a portion. Put of that. Them. We'll put that on repeat. That's well, right. That's but, right. Haven't you twenty percent? Hear me. <laughs> haven't you been the one that to tell to tell me that whatever it is that you count during your midwinter, you multiply about eight or something? Like that? <laughs> oh, but you'd have to do that on both surveys, uh, so the percentages yeah, would stay yeah. true. So when you're flying, and that's that's interesting. That just pops in my head. So when you're you're flying from refuge to refuge, mm -hmm. not necessarily just like a transect. You're flying from. West Tennessee, you know, you're flying over the Hatchie and That's then right. going from there to Wheeler. That's right. That's okay. right. So, and, and we're going to, we're going to, we'll pop down and we've got transects on each refuge, okay. yeah, but just within sense. our, our boundary, or sometimes we've got a proclamation area. So we'll be out, you know, flying over the, the Gulf or something like that in our proclamation area. So we do transects and we do, you know, sort of whole area counts, but it's only within that refuge boundary as opposed to some of the state agencies, which yes, they'll, some of them will count their WMAs, but, but some of the other ones, you know, they're going to do line transects across the whole, like the whole portion of the Delta. Yeah. So they're going to get that estimate for a watershed for Arkansas Game of Fish. It's a watershed, as I recall, estimate. And then they, and then of course for the for the mm -hmm. whole portion of the state, yeah. whole eastern portion of the state. And their transects may or may not intersect a refuge. They do. Or, some of them include some of the refuges, but but they but they don't generate a refuge specific right. count or even a WMA specific count. Or some of yeah. them do. Some of them don't. So that's how they they differ. And and so 
they're very our surveys are very complimentary if that makes sense yeah what were some of the more notable observations this year for you one thing was that was really interesting was i, I hinted at the, the we're joking about the lack of shoveler earlier but we when we flew the midwinter which we typically fly in that first second third week of january so historically it's been the first full week of january we relax that because we don't have to fly them all at the same time for our study design but we're all you know even the state agencies and us we're all trying to fly in that kind of early january time frame because it's typically when you see a peak of, of birds historically in the, uh, you know, in the South here. Um, so what, um, one thing that that's interesting on that midwinter period is we didn't see any shoveler didn't see any wood ducks, um, not that many gadwall. It was, it was really heavily on, you know, a mallard and, and some gadwall dependent, you know, until we got middle Mississippi Delta, the, you know, uh, to the, to the South Arkansas line. It, I mean, we, we saw, I mean, literally a handful of shovelers really? during that midwinter period north of that. I'm not hmm. saying there were none. There certainly were some, um, but, um, but not very, not very many. And we, we know we get a lot of wood ducks that move out uh, right before Christmas and they disperse and do some other things, but it's, I, it, I've never experienced seeing none going days and days in the airplane, low level flying over the woods and not seeing, you know, any wood ducks or any shoveler. Yeah. That was interesting. And I, I think it's just that, that cold snap had come through, you know, we locked up for, uh, a week. I mean, it depended where you were, but uh, you know, around Memphis, you could walk on the water for a week around oh, here. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, and 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 on the and on the thaw, there were a number of people. I heard some really poor reports actually mm. right on the thaw uh, of people. You know, I know some people did really well, but I heard a lot of people that say, you know, that they that they hunted that fall, you know, right around the first of the year and didn't do very well. And yeah. I think probably some of that was because a lot of those, a lot of those species they are going to be using the rice fields, using the bean fields, real shallow water. You know, a week is a long time for a teal or a shoveler, yeah. you know? And so I think some of those, I think they, they, they went further South, went to Louisiana with the, with the wood ducks. And, uh, and, and I think what we had left were, were mallards for a little while. That's just anecdotal. No, I mean that, that perfectly lines up. I mean, we, I didn't hunt from, you know, couple days before Christmas all the way through, you know, I think I hunted like the 28th was the first time that, that I was able to get out. That was probably a cold hunt too. It, we broke ice, uh -huh, you yeah. know, and I'm in a rice field. It's mm -hmm. eight inches deep, yeah. you know, at its deepest point. And um, there were some guys that are in that area that I knew who ran ice eaters since Christmas day. And they, I mean, mm -hmm. they hammered them, mm -hmm. you know, but I don't have that opportunity to be able to do that. Plus, we didn't have enough water. You can't put an ice heater mm -hmm. in four inches of water. That's uh, <laughs> tough to do. But, you know, so we ended up breaking ice. And I actually had my sister down from Indiana. She wanted to go. So we went, we broke a hole open and we're like, and I think we killed four ducks that afternoon. We broke ice mm -hmm. and sat there for like an hour, had a fun little shoot. We're like, oh, now that we have our hole, like we're going to come back tomorrow and we're going to be like one of the only shows in town. Like this is yeah. our mentality. And that wind picked up. And I think it even sprinkled a little bit at night. And we woke up in the morning thinking that we're going to be like, have this little hole where that's where all the ducks are going to go. <laughs> all of our open. decoys were pushed over to the side because <laughs> yeah. the, it opened everything. Everything around was wide open. So that was like a such, and like you said, it was, it was like four inches of ice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was a yeah. lot of yeah, ice. Yeah, so the ice moved. Yeah, so you get sheets that were moving around with that rapid thaw. Yep, that's right. It, it was, was a weird thaw. It was a weird thaw. And I think that probably hurt 
some of the hunters. Yeah. You know, I think maybe they were in the same boat I was where it's like, all right, let's get there. Maybe a day early, brush the whole hunt the next day where we got there that day and you never really had enough opportunity to hunt a thaw. Yeah, so. I actually had the opportunity to hunt that same day with a with a colleague here. Uh, works at a national headquarters and you know, I was I was excited because it was the it was the day I, it was it was the thaw day. It hunt was, the thaw. Yeah, it, it was, was the it. day. It was the, the day. day. He'd been out there yeah. the day before and he was like, "Man, it's still pretty thick. I hope it's opened up enough for us. and and Got to where we could see the entire field open. Mm-hmm. Like, whoa. And and we didn't do very well. Yeah, we, to, we didn't. We took a few shots and yeah. killed a few birds, but that was that was it. And so I'm like, dead gum. I got excited. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course, you always get excited, yeah. right? And you're supposed to. Yeah. But, the, you know, another thing I heard on that at, during that same time, the Arkansas River was loaded. Mm-hmm. Like the guys who went over and hunted the Arkansas River, I'm sure Mississippi was the mm-hmm. same. Um, but that open water, I mean, they were hunting the channel. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And just hammering yeah. ducks, but but that also that entire landscape that those ducks are relying on for rice fields, like you said, that was gone. It for was six all seven gone. days. It was gone for a week. Yep. I bet those things were debating how far they want to go. Yep. You know, once probably two or three days into that, I bet those ducks are having to make a decision. Absolutely. Do you have any insight from any of the telemetry projects that you're associated with? How far those birds moved? Or, or, or I mean. Any notable movements? Because they're not all going to do the same thing. Yeah, just a little bit. So um, uh, a few of us that have bands out so we can watch sort of how, just anecdotally, where we get we get a banding report every week, you know, typically every week. And and so you can like, okay, they're all, you're getting a lot from this geography. And then all of a sudden, boom, whoa, getting some, you get, yeah, you get some shifts further south. Or we had a, we had a, we had a bird that was banded in, um, uh, I believe it was a widgeon. It was something kind of different that we banded at Tennessee National a few years ago on the Tennessee River, and it was recovered in Florida. It, I think I think on the maybe on the SDA, but yeah, in, yeah. In, in, in South Florida there, South Central Florida, and so we so that that happened after. So you get, we we knew we were having some weird things, having some wood duck band returns all of a sudden really spread out and really and really to the south. So a few of those things. Um, I, I did ask uh, you know Corey Highway and some mm-hmm. of the folks at Tennessee Mallard Project at the Cohen Lab, you know if they had seen any any like huge movements they all left and as i recall you know it was very much like it had been in previous years when in february um when they've looked at those data it's like yeah, a few birds mm-hmm. move a little but you know it's not you know those birds are are pretty much committed to a wintering area at that point yeah, and they're yeah. you know they, they may go 10 miles well they a had few that miles, one but not long yeah they had that one and they posted it on instagram yeah, and it was funny and you know the example that i'm yep, going to use I do. that it left like the Arkansas Missouri border, yeah, and it bounced over into Arkansas, like spent one day or whatever, and then it showed it flew right over into Memphis. That's right, the and, Memphis bird, and it sat right on Austin P <laughs> Highway, which I drive that way all the time. And there's a, they just put a huge lake and a park. There's a skate park. There's a police station, and I'm like, and I see ducks out there every time you drive past. And I'm like, man, I should have stopped. I probably could have seen that transmitter because that's where it sat. You can see it on the map, it's like sitting right there. So I'm texting them when they post that, right? I'm I'm texting them, and I'm like, I think I, I think I know your birds or whatever, and the reason is so you asked me about funny things from the airplane or anecdotal things we saw this year there were birds in the air everywhere for hmm. for two weeks we we generally you know you pop up to 2,000 feet you know so we're doing low level surveys a few hundred feet off the ground but we'll pop up to 2,000 feet and that's a, a much safer place to fly you're above a lot of towers typically and you're above most of the birds 
it was crazy this year. Really? Um, there were there were birds on the we the first day we we flew Hatchie. There were a lot of birds in the air. That's super rare. Happened at Wheeler um, when we we typically use some airports around the Memphis area. And I remember we were coming into Millington and we were dodging birds coming, you know, trying to get into the pattern to land. That really? that is super weird. And we were joking about we're doing all these low level surveys and some urban you know some urban mallard is gonna you know take us out or whatever. But I, I think that I think I think that 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 cold snap probably did some weird things. Yeah. And he had some birds move into urban areas. That lake has a big fountain on yeah. it. It's not going to freeze. You know, know, it's like, mm. uh, you know, you see some of that every once in a while, you'll, you know, and yeah. some of the, the banding and reporting, but that one was interesting just for me because it's like literally right close to my house. You yeah. Know? I'm like, that thing is right there. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. So maybe, maybe some, uh, some wonderful ornithologists can call in and, and, uh, and, and, and school us all on why birds were appeared to be flightier this year during the midwinter period. <laughs> But they they sure seem to be that that ought, should have been good for uh you know good for duck hunters. There were a yeah. lot of birds flying around in the air, and I don't know if that was we had some strong south winds right after that, you know. So I don't know if it was just that that interplay of factors, but that was one thing that was really noticeable and and different than most years were in that airplane. Yeah, and you mentioned an area, and I mentioned it earlier, and you just mentioned it again, but Wheeler National Wildlife mm-hmm. Refuge. Such a unique it is. little area. It's an oasis there. Yeah, and and we've we talk about I talk about it here with the our magazine editor Matt Young. He's very familiar with the area, and we talk about it all the time because I hunt with a bunch of guys from Huntsville. They have little leases around mm-hmm. there. It can be pretty good. It can be. You know the secrets. Everyone, you know, and also the reports that I was hearing from those guys. The guys who were hunting Gunnersville this year did really well. Hmm. Um, they had some great hunts down there, some per- good. And I think a lot of that has to do with that really cold. If you're hunting Gunnersville, I mean, that's, that's big right. water. And lack of water in other Yeah, and of lack of water in other areas. That's and right. The, and the Tennessee River was super dry. So mm-hmm. I know Arkansas picked up water. West Tennessee picked up water. Other, the, the, the you know, whole Mississippi Valley picks up water. I, I, I wasn't paying that close attention. But when we got to the Tennessee River, Wheeler, super dry. The driest I've seen it on mm-hmm. the midwinter survey mm-hmm. in the last few years. Um, uh, Cross Creeks and Tennessee Refuge and Bustletown, all those super really? dry. Yeah, they were having trouble, you know, filling up their impoundments even, getting everything filled up. There's, there, you know, we're Sandhill Cranes at Wheeler all over the mud flats. I've never seen them out there. You know, like survey wasn't designed great to pick them up out there because we usually don't see them out there. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, we know where we're going to see them. And so, yeah, it, it sort of gave us some issues trying to trying to count the cranes at, at Wheeler this yeah. year because because it was super dry. And uh, yeah, the river was just really low there on the Tennessee this year. Yeah, that's an, like I said, that's an interesting little area. And I think one thing, you know, that is notable, those guys shoot a lot of black ducks. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so I don't, you know, if those birds are coming straight down from the Great Lakes or yeah. how that one of the last little, hot spots. I, I, I'm not sure it's a hot spot anymore, but one of the last strongholds where you can shoot some black ducks yeah. in Mississippi mm-hmm. Flyway, you know, but, you know, With south of Ohio. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, those guys that I hunt with, they have a couple little timber holes mm-hmm. and you're not going to kill a bunch of ducks, mm-hmm. but you're going to shoot a black duck. Mm-hmm. And they're like, come on over. And I haven't done it. And that, that's a pretty cool little shoot. Um, but Wheeler is an impressive place that kind of, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to pop up on people's radar as much, and that little migration corridor that that those birds seem to use it's it's very unique. And, and this year it seemed to be, um, while maybe the numbers weren't reflected early in the survey, um, those guys seem to do pretty well That's good. around Wheeler. Yeah, talking about black ducks, I've killed a few in my life. Growing up in North Mississippi, it was a place where we would mm-hmm. get some just about every year. Whenever I see a pintail, Drake pintail, I get excited. When you see a greenhead mallard, get excited. But man. I don't think there's any bird, dabbler certainly, that gets me more excited than 
than a black duck when you see it. I mean, and and people that aren't familiar with black ducks will ask you the same thing. How do you know it's a black duck? It's just can is it really seems like it'd be difficult to identify. It's one of the easiest ducks to identify once you've seen it, in my opinion, because it's it, you know what it is. And you, for me, super excited whenever I see one and know there's an opportunity there to to harvest it. You've had much success with those. Feet? Absolutely, I've, I've killed a few, not not many, but a couple in a couple in North Mississippi. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, and around Knoxby area. Mm-hmm. But, but I, I don't know how many still go there. They've not that, a lot. That, yeah, that population, that Great Lakes population, has seemed to. You know, I, I don't know if it's declining, probably, um, or if they're just not coming as far south as they used to. But some combination of those factors sure sure has changed. Even the last you know five years that that we've been sort of flying this this style survey on refuges, the the numbers at Wheeler, the numbers at Tennessee National, that used to be the. I mean, those were the hot spots. Those were the you know five thousand black ducks we would expect to see, or even more than that every year. And you know we're you know we're seeing a few hundred or a few dozen in our surveys now. Yeah. Something special about them. I love them. That's a good species. Yep. A couple of notes. We were talking about what any of the transmitted birds that we're familiar with did. One of them, I think, went and went to Sardis, uh, one of those right. one of those reservoirs in That's North right. Mississippi for a short period of time. And Stomping I think, around your neck of the woods. And I think we <laughs> saw some do that on that February freeze from a couple of years ago That's as right. well. Go down south a little bit and maybe hang out on some of those large flood control reservoirs for a little bit, which is... You know, yeah, seven cool. or eight years ago, I had a place in um, just in Robinsonville, just outside of Tunica, and we had no ducks. And we're like, where are all? And it was something weird. There was like a dry year, and they were doing some work on one of the water control deals at one of the big reservoirs there. So they had lowered Arca Butler down to like one inch. Oh, wow. And somebody had flown over, and someone here in the office told me that their friend of a friend of a friend saw it, flew over, and they said that 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 Arca Butler was covered in shovelers for as far as you could see because they had gotten it down to that little mud flat. And Sign I guess, me up. Yeah, they, I, they're, like, you, they're like, you can't get to them. You know, they're out in the middle of this mud flat. There's no way to get to them. I'm sure you could figure out a way. But he said it was just, you could walk across those. And that's a big reservoir too. It is, yeah, it is. So it's always, Sardis was really dry. I'm oh, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, you know, it just got me thinking about stuff mm-hmm. flying over and it was super dry this year too. Really? Yeah. Well, I guess so. It was... Um, yeah, it was still dry. It was. I think Mississippi missed out on a good portion of the rain that Arkansas, um, mm-hmm. maybe West Tennessee, picked up. That that's at least that was my read on it. Now, Mississippi got some. Mm-hmm. I saw that firsthand, but I don't think as much as as Arkansas. That sound right? That, that sounds right. And the further even even in Arkansas, the further north you went, you know, those rivers came out earlier. But you know, the lower white it took. You know, until the right at the end of season, yeah. you know, it was real late. Coming, it was coming close out. there for yeah, a while. It, it, you could, it was it, hanging out within a, like yeah. two I was foot. Getting, yeah, I was getting text head. messages. We're right there. <laughs> We're, right, We're there. right there. That's right. Uh, there's a couple guys here who hunt the white regularly and have camps down along yep. there. It's a couple guys here in the office, and so you get a pretty good feel for it here in the office of where the river's at, mm-hmm. depending on how they're hunting. But. Yeah, I mean, so just one I'm curious question as you're flying over, and obviously you're not counting ducks everywhere you're flying. You're doing it just specifically mm-hmm. on the refuges. But when you're crossing over, like the Mississippi River, like is there a notice? Are you like, oh, man, you know, look at all the ducks down there. Like with this year, with it being so dry, did the birds congregate there or they just didn't show up? I never see them on the rivers. I mean, okay. you know, I'll see never. But there might be a few here or there, but it's extremely rare for yeah. us to, you know, for us to see them. We're usually a higher level, so it's going to have to be a big pile for us, you know, yeah. thousands for us to see it. Um, but we almost never see them on the main main channel of the of the rivers, any of the rivers. Really. Yeah, that's why I just didn't know, like, Tennessee River 
river, you know, you guys are flying that corridor. There's, you know, a couple big reservoirs along there too. Um, you know, that, that might be a little bit of the exception, especially this year with it as dry as it was on the Tennessee river. We, you know, we saw, we, we saw a few and they've got the, got these big bays, right? These big areas that, that hold some, uh, like, um, our, our big Sandy unit of, of Tennessee national wildlife yeah. refuge. And, you know, so that, that had a good number of birds, actually another anecdotal. I don't know that I've ever seen a bigger number of, um, common on oh, blanking, um, Merganser? No. Goldeneye? Uh, Goldeneye. Thank you. Wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. Blanked on yeah. that. Common Goldeneye everywhere um, on the Tennessee River really? this year. Uh, you, you know, in, no in, kid. In fact, you know, the first couple I saw them, you know, turning backwards in the plane and sort of like hitting myself in the head going, that's a Goldeneye, right? That's a, you know, because I don't see them that often mm -hmm. down here. But yeah, thousands and thousands uh, on the Tennessee River this year. That was the big highlight over there. I was having to do some mental matchup here because I recall a photo you posted on on your social media account of a Barrows Goldeneye. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I know he's not talking about Barrows <laughs> Goldeneye on Tennessee River. You actually, you went out be, to Washington? Be, Is that I did, where you yeah. were? Yep. Yeah, yep. that's pretty cool. That was a lifetime bird. That's a, that's that's a neat one out oh, there. Yeah. I, cool. I think my response was, okay, now I'm jealous. <laughs> I, I, I have got to pay the taxidermy bill, though, so don't, yeah. don't tell my wife. Yeah. It's too late. You can, hang, you can hang it in the podcast. She, she listens to this, so yeah, she'll, I'm sure uh, she, got me. <laughs> what was it she said? Didn't she listen to an episode and said, you guys are so geeky? She did. Like she that. absolutely you did. And, 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 my, and my first comment was like, you listen to an episode? Yeah. Wow. That's what I would be. If my wife listened to it, I'd be like, you listen to it? Thank you. Even if she was being rude about That's it. That's right. I was yeah. so I was so excited. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah the, the only other thing I'd, I'd highlight um, is that uh, we did have, we talked a little bit earlier, but we had some big numbers on the Gulf Coast. So Lacassine, Sabine, mm -hmm. Uh, Red River Refuge had more than we've had in five years there. Nice. Wow. Um, We're so talking about Northwest Louisiana. North, North, Northwest Louisiana, yeah, and you know, not hundreds of thousands of birds, but you know, I think twenty or thirty thousand, which yeah. is a big number for. Do you guys for survey Felsenthal? Yeah, we did. I heard some good things out of Felsenthal. There were not any birds on the midwinter really? uh, during our during our survey or really? overflow. Really, yeah. They they the last two years, those two places just haven't had very many hmm. very many birds. But, yeah, there's um, a guy that you, that works here in the office that used to hunt it a lot, and he said it was really good. And uh, was that he, early in the year? It was I, early. I, okay, yeah, I heard early. some good reports. So I was actually I was actually expecting good numbers at Felsenthal, and then when we flew, just nothing didn't was there. Out. I just yeah. figured with that cold, and you know, yeah. it almost seemed like a perfect well, they had, storm. You know, that's that's water. They actually had they water had there, water, right? In, in the main cold. Pool. Yeah, that's why that's why I was curious. Yeah. You know, that's I bet early they did. And um the the Mollusy unit of uh, Upper Washita, they had they had some not great numbers, but there were it, it's been dry for a couple of years, so it was good to see water. All the woods were flooded there at Upper Washita, and so that was that was pretty. Did you fly the South Atlantic at all or is that someone else? It it, it is somebody else, but actually we we have been fighting air aircraft issues and we we did not get our we just mm. gave it up last week, actually. We've been trying for five weeks oh. to fly, so we did not get our South Atlantic surveys done this year. Pretty big bummer. Yeah, yeah. That's another area where we don't have really good read on. I was telling mm -hmm. you before we started recording, I reached out to a mutual friend, and we're going to try to line line that up. I at least wanted to talk to someone so we could kind of relay something, but we might actually try to get someone on to, um, to give us the little coverage there. 
Also in the Atlantic Flyway, we spoke with Mike Schumer in December, and I think at that point he had described it being very slow for them, at least for his part of the um, his part of the flyway. He gets out a few times. He said, "I'd get my couple of mallards, and then that was about it." You know, otherwise really slow. Not a lot of weather. That to was move before birds. a bunch of that weather kicked in there. Though. It was, but that's getting pretty late for. But I'm where I'm, he's hunting. I'm looking at this, looking at these temperature departure maps. And that's pretty much the one area of the U.S. that for every month was above average warm. Mm. Um, December even. They did get some weather, I know. And then they got some snow, uh, certain lake effect snow. I'm not sure how widespread any of that snow was, but just record lake effect snow. That's a pretty small area. But I, I know they were expecting cold weather. When was that? It must have been early December, and it got some. Uh, it was going to move some birds around. He got pretty excited about that. But uh, I think Heath was saying even at that time it was getting pretty late for him. You know, it's uh, they probably had lost most of the smaller ducks had mm-hmm. already moved south. But it just sounds like they didn't have the right kind of weather to make for for really productive hunting opportunities, and. And yeah, every month here, the northeastern U.S., the um, New England states, above average temperature and shoot January of this year, man, that was really warm. That was the warmest part of the of the U.S. So it wouldn't surprise me if they had um, tough hunting in some, maybe some of those inland mm-hmm. areas, um, coastal areas, they it may be a bit more consistent out there. I really don't know. But um, anyway, that's... That's another area that we would and be nice to get a little bit more coverage of, but I'm not sure we're going to be able to pull that off. But uh, this year, I'm looking at the precipitation for that part of the uh, the country. They got a little bit of rain uh, precipitation in December. It looks like January was pretty good, but I don't... Chris, from any of your migration reports out east, do you have any, any insight there? I mean, I think New York was pretty... New York State and a lot of like guys... We get most of our information from like Sarah Fleming um, and, and they're kind of upstate New York uh, around Montezuma National Wildlife yep. mm-hmm. Refuge and, and I think they started out pretty good and then it just slowed mm. uh, they got those kind of calendar ducks that they always have yep. and then it slowed down like you said it was warm um, I didn't hear a bunch of complaints yeah. um, that normally we would get but it, I think it was just I think they were just kind of a stagnant month of November for them That, that I think that that probably hurt most of their hunting but the coastal guys seem to do well in the north atlantic and we had some reports on that they you know there was some decent sea duck hunting even mm-hmm. early um they they seem to have birds so but then once you get down into the chesapeake bay i think a lot of those guys struggled uh there were some of course just with any situation some winners and losers on the fact that they were a little dry early and warm yeah um so that probably put a little bit of you know, dampened some of those hunts, but overall, uh, I didn't hear a ton of complaining again, you know, it didn't seem like it was the gr- greatest season ever. No. It didn't seem like it was the worst, just kind of in between. And honestly, I don't think it was the lack of birds as much as it was the lack of weather to move them around in that region. You know, the other thing that would have affected them would have been ice, lack of ice on the Great Lakes. Yeah. That's yeah, what Mike was saying. That's a big determinant of when they get some, yeah. some of the divers uh, yeah. from, from Long Point, you know, Lake, Lake Erie. And of course we spoke with Jay Anglin and he was talking about Lake St. Clair. Unbelievable just, numbers uh, of redheads. Wow. Miles of rafts wow. of redheads, Lake St. Yeah. Clair and some of those other areas. And I'm looking at the ice cover maps here for graphs for the Great Lakes. Lake Ontario was like at less than 5% ice cover until 
really through the end of January. Wow. Uh, Lake Erie uh, jumped above average to about 20% ice cover in that has to be around Christmas is probably when that date was. But then by mid-January, according to this graph here, they were completely open again. And it wasn't until late January that um, that ice storm, what mm -hmm. we had is an ice storm down here, that it pushed up, pushed ice cover numbers up for Ontario and Erie. Um, so that would have certainly hindered um, any kind of movement out of the Great Lakes that would have benefited the North Atlantic. So I suspect that's probably, that's part of what folks would have suffered from up there. Um, snow, I, you know, in, in terms of snow being another driver of bird movements and things of that nature, I don't know that it was, it played a big role this year, at least. I, I didn't feel that way um, based on what I was hearing because it was typically associated with those real strong cold fronts and mm -hmm. you felt like it was those cold fronts and the way they really locked up some of that northern water that was probably the big driver of some of that now there was obviously a lot of some heavy snow in the dakotas and i, I think that did that's going to have an effect obviously sure. um but it didn't I, I don't remember that snow being terribly widespread throughout the uh throughout the the mid-continent it got down and if it did it didn't persist i'm looking at this here um early January, had pretty good snow cover throughout the Dakotas, throughout Minnesota, but it kind of, it kind of fades once you get mm -hmm. into, into Iowa. Uh, I was going to say that Iowa, Nebraska, right in there, the, they really didn't have much snow mm -hmm. cover. No. I think we really just had that one big pulse, you know, mm -hmm. um, through the mid-continent that, that we had it for maybe a, a week or two. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the Dakotas still have a fair bit of snow right now though, so. Yeah. Um, it's good. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. It is. And this actually doesn't give a whole lot of coverage up into Canada. At least I don't know if you can trust this graph up into Canada. But uh, but anyway, uh, what else? What have we missed? I mean, it's... I, I just have a question. It can be another aspect of this. But um, Heath, as far as when you're doing these surveys, what, what kind of percentage or maybe percentage is a bad way to put it, but the usage of these refuges with, with geese, light geese, um, white fronts, you know, are they are they hitting these refuges? You know, in pretty good numbers as well. They they do. It, it it's it can be real hit or miss because especially with the snow geese, they typically are up and gone really early, or you know, they hear an airplane at low yeah. level and three miles or seven miles out. You know, they're gonna pop up and you're like I think they might have come off the refuge, <laughs> but you just see them out there, yeah. and so you sort of ignore them. Um, but but yes, we we certainly get a lot. We get we have a lot of snow geese and white fronted geese that spend their evening, spend their you know spend their nights uh, yeah. to, on on our refuges, especially the areas that have agriculture. So they certainly use us. Um, they they usually don't show up big in our numbers because they're off and they're in farm fields and they're real spread yeah. out during the day. But um, but they they certainly they certainly they certainly are there. You know, I will say that you know the snow geese were. You know, they were everywhere as the in during that midwinter period when the you know in Arkansas anyway when the when the water you know popped out and fields started greening up just a little bit with that warm weather we got some of our later later flights you could see a lot of a yeah. lot of little groups of five hundred a thousand fifteen hundred snow geese just everywhere on the landscape yeah yeah that that makes sense for kind of what we saw driving around through those areas um, and it's just. I, I was just curious because we actually had two different flocks of Canada's this year. Interesting. And it was right after that big cold. Were you hanging out uh, in Memphis downtown I, I was again? Sitting, I was sitting, yeah, I was sitting <laughs> in a hole 17 over at Galloway. That does make sense. <laughs> but, uh, 
No, the uh, it just seemed like one of those things I'd not seen any over there um, in my time hunting over there. And, you know, we're just sitting there and all of a sudden you just hear Big Canada, you know, and you're like, what? What? And like, who's got a Canada goose call? We, it's funny you bring that up. We, uh, I blew on my Canada call. I don't know why I still have it hanging on my land. Like from my Illinois days, I just can't let it go. But, um, but yeah, so it was hanging there and I blew on it two or three times this year. Now we didn't get any of the geese close, but we yeah. actually saw a couple of flocks as well and thought and joked in the blind about how odd it was. Yeah. Know? No, I was just curious if, you know, that we're it, reestablishing that Southern migration. Oh, southern yeah. 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 The Canada geese. Is that what's happening? Yeah. You better drive north of Milwaukee. Fine. <laughs> Because <laughs> there's a bunch sitting right there. No, I was just curious about the goose thing because I know yeah. we when I think in just kind of in a, from a layman's perspective, you know, when we talk about refuges, everyone always refers to the duck numbers. It's mm -hmm. the duck count. It's ducks, ducks. And just this morning, I'm getting text messages like, you know, Lois Bluff just went over 1.5 yeah. million. I'm sure they do there. Yeah, you know, you know, that's when you're paying attention to the geese at mm -hmm. that number, and then that's a, a good barometer of the spring migration. Um, and so, you know, that's that just popped into my head to think, you know, what are the geese doing on these more southern refuges? But it sounds like they're using them the same way. We certainly are. In fact, we have to account for them. And, you know, as we do our planning and we figure out how much food we have to, you know, have to grow on each refuge, you know, we, you know, that's that's uh, that's incorporated. Um, they're hard to count, but we know they're there. And, and, you know, we'll, you know, sometimes get out there and do an early morning count of them or whatnot. And, You've got to figure out. You've got. You've got to know how many are there because they will. They will eat the ducks out of house and home. That's yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I think we've covered pretty much everything. You know, I think we we've got a Pacific Northwest issue or episode. We've got a Great Lakes episode. We've kind of covered most of the Central Mississippi flyways here. You know, I, th I think we've we could probably have a Gulf Coast. Yeah. Someone come on speak directly to the Gulf Coast, but I mean, from what our reports that'd are be hearing, a good one to do. Yeah, I mean, from what we've been hearing, you know, I think I think. Everyone seems to be not happy, but, you know, they're not sending hate mail. You know, this this year, I I had an opportunity. I was trying to add up the number of days that I got out and hunted this year. And if you add, if you add in the Alaska trip, um, which, why would you not, right? Why would you not? <laughs> I, I, think, I think I was able to hunt somewhere around 21, 22 days, something That's like that. That's pretty strong. That's good. It's yeah. pretty For, strong. Yeah. But it's amazing. It was not a high harvest year for me. I think there was only one or two days where I got my, where I got a limit or got anywhere close to that. Even mm -hmm. in Alaska, Alaska for us, when we were there was not a high volume shoot. Uh, and, and that's not why I went there. You know, I went there for, for harvest of brant, mm -hmm. uh, limit on those is two per person per day. Harlequin ducks, that matter of fact, I shot four Drake Harlequins. That was the highest uh, harvest total for me on any single day. And that was only because I was, um, they were kind of, it took them a little bit longer to get out and retrieve me and trade me out with someone else. And in the meantime, a fourth Drake Harlequin came by and, and I took care of it. So <laughs> otherwise it would have been three. Since um, I was here. <laughs> that's right. And... So yeah, it was not a high harvest year and that was fine. And but even some of the places where I had the opportunity to hunt are traditionally really good places. But Chris, you and I were part of one of those those hunts and I think the report was as the worst day, worst two days of their entire season. Yeah. You know, we just we, the birds it was warm. I think it was full moon. Full moon, mm -hmm. warm. Yeah. It just just 
didn't do. And no I had, wind. And I had several, several of those days. And I had the opportunity to go with, on some some invited hunts. Seemed to always align that way. So but that's there's okay. A, there's a common common theme. <laughs> yeah, here. that's right. We should look at the weather, that's right. Mike. That's <laughs> you know when you get invited. That's you right. Go. That's right. I will say that I I kind of given some of that, and I mean, it was it wasn't wholly satisfying. I guess partly, and I've told other people this. I I really appreciate invitations to see other places and opportunities to see other places and hunt other places. But there's something about, for me, and this is probably because this is the way I grew up. When you put in all the work to identify where the birds are, go on public land and can pattern the birds and then go out there and be successful getting where the birds want to be. And I think the last, I went out there the last day of the season, or maybe it was the next to last day, shot two greenheads and two drake wood ducks. And that was that was awesome. That was rewarding. It was a great way for me to um to end the season and kind of capped it on on a on a high note, which but it was otherwise a, a great season because I got to get out and see a lot of people and see different areas and saw a lot of birds and so it was uh but again it wasn't totally dependent upon shooting a bunch of birds. So you want to share the spot where you were hunting, right? Um, sure. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, not a lot of birds there. Not a lot of birds, but uh, four birds—that's uh, pretty good shoot. Yeah, well, and four, wood ducks. It was just, yeah. just one person. Ducks, you know, yeah. I yeah, I, I showed those showed those two wood <laughs> showed showed Dale, Dale Humberg uh, those two wood ducks. Uh, picture those two great wood ducks, and he said, hmm, "Shooting wood ducks in late January." <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Kind of felt a little bit bad when I saw him flying with that hand, but it's okay. So I stopped it too. That's stopped just a person. That's just a personal thing. But they weren't yeah, cir- was, circling a box. Right? No, they were not, not <laughs> he shot them out of the box. They were not <laughs> circling the box. But I thought that was funny that whenever, because whenever I was hunting and it was yeah late January in Mississippi, and I know what those birds are uh-huh. doing. They're already checking out those nest boxes. But it was just funny that that was the first thing that Humberg said to me whenever <laughs> yeah. I showed him that, and I said, "I know it." So you gotta be careful talking about bo- talking to biologists about duck hunting. I, yeah, they've yeah. always got a, a witty comeback. I, I know, I know. So. Um, so anyway, final comments? No, nope, all good. Nope, everything that I heard was pretty positive. Yeah, all, all good. Just ten thousand foot uh, level observation. A lot of water, of course, during our surveys. Um, not big piles of birds anywhere. You know, usually we're accustomed to at least a few places have a hundred thousand, one hundred fifty thousand, two hundred thousand, and you know, there like Lacassine was really good. There were some good good spots on the coast, but. Nowhere had that. Nowhere had that that big pile during the midwinter period. Big Lake was really good that week, a couple of weeks before, right around Christmas. But you know, everywhere had five thousand or ten thousand or fifteen thousand, at least on refuges. We didn't see these these huge piles on refuges. I suspect what they were were really spread out on the landscape, or they were out on you know out on private land. You know, some like the north areas of the cache. One of the biggest pile of birds I saw was was not on a refuge, but was but was just north of there, mm-hmm. uh, north of the cache, some of our cache river ground, and. Uh, was out on private land. A lot of pintail, a lot of mallards up there. All right. We're going to wrap it up here. Chris, thanks for uh, for, for being here. Heath, thanks for being our special guest. Again, we we'll always appreciate uh, what you're able to, to contribute here 
And this has admittedly been a little more focused on the Central Flyway, Mississippi Flyway. That's fine. Mm-hmm. We're going to supplement this with episodes from a few other locations. We appreciate people tuning in, appreciate your interest. Uh, and so we look forward to catching you on a, on a future episode. So with that, I'll thank also thank our producer, Chris Isaac, for the great work he does on these. And yeah, we'll catch everybody on a subsequent episode. Thanks, y'all. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. Stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're We're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside.